Section 1 of My Strange Rescue This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Brianna My Strange Rescue by James MacDonald Oxley Section 1 a shout of laughter rang through the kitchen and went echoing to up the great chimney when much more in fun than in earnest i hinted that if they could not manage to kill the bear themselves i would have to do it for them now it was no new thing for me to be laughed at my big brothers were only too fond of that amusement and i had got pretty well used to it but this time I detected a particularly derisive tone in their hilarity, which touched me to the quick, and springing to my feet with eyes flashing and cheeks burning, I burst out hotly. I don't care how much you laugh. As sure as I'm standing here, I'll put a bullet in that bear before this time tomorrow night. At this, they only laughed the louder, and filled the room with sarcastic shouts of Hurray for Bantam! I'll bet on the bear! What will you take for his skin, Bantam? Until father silenced them with one of his reproving looks, and drew me to him, saying soothingly, Don't mind the boys, Walter, and don't let your temper betray you into making rash vows that you cannot keep. I sat down in the sulks and soon after skipped off to bed. But it was a long time before I got to sleep, for my brain was in a whirl and my bloody coursing through my veins like fire. I was the youngest in a family of six sturdy boys and consequently came in for much more than a fair share as I thought of good nature ridicule from my big brothers. They were all fond enough of me, and generally very kind to me too, but they had a notion, and perhaps not altogether a mistaken one, that I was inclined to think too much of myself, and they took great pleasure in putting me down, as they were pleased to call it. Of course I did my best not to be put down, as they had nicknamed me the Benton, as a sort of left-handed compliment to my fearly opposition against being put down. I was rather small for my age, and they could easily beat me in nearly all the trials of skills and strength country boys delighted in. Not quite all, however, for much to my pride and satisfaction, I could hit the bull's eyes choked out on the big barn door twice as often as the best of them, and no small comfort did my skill in shooting give me. But this far from contented me, and in my foolish feverish haste to get on the level with those big fellows, I was constantly attempting all sort of reckless daring feats that called forth my father's grave reproof and my mother's loving entreaties. Time and again would father say to me, 
Walter, your rashness will be the death of you some day. Don't be in such a hurry to be a man before you've quit being a boy. But reproof and entreaty alike went unheeded, and that night, as I tossed restlessly about in bed, I made solemn vows to the stars peeping in through the window that next morning I would take Tiger and go off alone after the huge black bear, which had been prowling around the sheepfold lately, and which the father and the boys had two eyes hunted in vain. Soothed by the prospect of the glory success would bring me, I fell asleep, and dreamed that, armed only with my jackknife, I was chasing hard after the bear, which seemed half as big as the barn, yet ran away in the most flattering fashion. Next morning all my temper had vanished, and so much of my valor had vanished with it that my bear hunting would never have probably got beyond dreamland had not Jack, the moment I appeared, called out mockingly, Behold the might hunter! Make way for Bantam, the renowned bear slayer! The chorus of laughter that greeted the sally set me in a blaze again, but this time I held my tongue, and the teasing soon stopped. The mischief was done, however. I felt as though I would rather die than go back on my word now. Never before in my life had I been stirred so deeply. Determined to keep my purpose secret, I waited about the house until all the others had gone off. Then, quietly taking down my gun, I put half a dozen biscuits in my pocket and with well-filled powder flask and bullet pouch slipped off unobserved towards the forest, Tiger following close at my heels. Tiger was my own dog, a present from a city uncle after whom I had been named. He was half-hound, half-bouterier, and seemed to combine the best qualities of both breeds, so that for sense, strength and courage his superior could not be found of his size. My affection for him was suppressed only by his devotion to me. He acknowledged no other master, and fairly lived in the light of my countenance. This morning he evidently caught from my face some inkling of the serious nature of our business, for instead of bounding and barking about me in his wonted way, he trotted gravely along at my side, every now and then looking up into my face as though about to say, Here I am, ready for anything, and where could I have found a trustier ally? It was a glorious day in December. A week of intense cold had been succeeded by a few days of milder weather, and over all the trees the frost had thrown a fairly garb of white that sparkled brightly in the morning sun. The air was just cold enough to be bracing. 
the spotless snow crunched crisply under my feet as I walked rapidly over it, and my spirits rose with every step. Soon I had climbed the hill pasture, and with one look backward at my dear old home, nestling among its breeches and poplars in the plain below, I plunged into the dense undergrowth that bordered the vast Canadian forest, which stretched away inland for many a mile. The snow lay pretty deep in the woods, but my snowshoes made the walking easy. Everywhere across the white surface ran the interlacing tracks of rabbits and red foxes, with here and there the broader, deeper print of the wild cat, for it had been a long, hard winter, and the wild animals, desperate with hunger, were drawing uncomfortably close to the settled districts. As I pushed on into the lonely, silent forest, its shadows began to cool my ardor, and an inclination to turn back strengthened every moment, so that my pride had hard work to keep my courage up to the mark. Presently I came to an open glade, almost circular, and about fifty yards across, walled in on all the sides by tall dark pines and somber hemlocks. It was so pleasant to be in full view of the sun again, that I halted on the verge of this glade to rest a little, leaning against a huge pine, and letting the sunshine pour down upon me, although my long walk had started the perspiration from every pore. Tiger, who had been carefully scrutinizing every paw print, but following up none, as he saw I evidently was not after the small game that day, now bounded off along the edge of the forest, and I watched him proudly, as with nose close to the snow and tail high in the air, he ran hither and thither the very picture canine beauty and intelligence. Suddenly he stopped short, snuffed fiercely at a track in the snow, and then with sharp, eager barks that sounded like a succession of pistol shots, and startled every nerve and fiber in my body into intense excitement, sprang over the snow with mad haste, until he brought up the at the foot of a tree just opposite me on the other side of the glade. For some moments I stood as if spellbound. I felt that nothing less than bare trail could have put Tiger in such a quiver. Perhaps he had struck the track of the bear, about whose immense size father and the boys had talked so much. I confess that at the thought of my knees trembled, my tongue parched as though with hot thirst, and I stood there utterly irresolute, until all at once, like a great wave, my courage came back to me, the hunter instinct, 
rose supreme over human weakness, and grasping my gun tightly, I hurried across to where the dog was still barking furiously. A bare, blasted tree trunk stood out gaunt in grey, in marked contrast the dark masses of pine and hemlock around. It was plainly the ruin of a magnificent pine, which once had towered high above its fellows, and then paid the penalty of preeminence by being first selected as a target for the lightning. Only some twenty feet of its former grandeur remained, and this poor decapitated stub was evidently hollow and rotten to the roots, for deeply scored upon its barkless sides were signs of its being nothing more or less than a bear's den, the admirably chosen hiding place for some sagacious brewing. My gun was loaded with an extra charge of powder and two good bullets. I put on a fresh cap, made sure everything was in good order, and took my stand a few yards off from the tree to await the result of Tiger's audacious challenge. Minute after minute crept slowly by, but not a sound came from the tree. The tension of nerve was extreme. At length, I could stand it no longer. If the bear was really inside the tree trunk, I must know it immediately. Looking up, I noticed that an adjoining hemlock sent out a long arm right over the hollow trunk, while a little above was another branch by which I could steady myself. Taking off my snowshoes and laying my gun at the hemlock's foot, I climbed quickly up, Tiger for a time suspending his barking in order to look inquiringly after me. Reaching the branch, which seemed strong enough for anything, I walked out on it carefully, balancing myself by the one above, my moccasined feet giving me a good foothold, until I was right over the deep, mysterious cavity. I peered eagerly in, but of course saw nothing save darkness as of Egypt, and half laughing at my own falling, had turned to retrace my steps, when suddenly, without the slightest warning, the bow on which I stood snapped short off a few feet from the trunk. For one harrowing instant, I clung to the slender branch above, and then, it slipping swiftly through my fingers with a wild shriek of terror, I plunged feet foremost into the awful abysm beneath. Just grazing the rim of the tree's open mouth, I fell sheer to the bottom, bringing up with such a shock that the fright and fall combined rendered me insensible. How long I lay there, I cannot say. When I did come to myself, my first impulse was to stand up, and words cannot express my relief 
when I found that although much shaken up, no bones were broken, thanks to the accumulation of rotten wood at the bottom of this strange well. But oh, what a fearful situation was mine, and how bitterly I reproached myself for my folly. Shut up in the heart of that hollow tree, four long miles from home and help, utterly unable to extricate myself, for the soft decayed sides of my prison forbade all attempt at ascent, only a few biscuits in my pocket, not a drop of water, and already I was suffering with thirst, and to crawl out the possibility all the certainty of the bear returning in a few hours while i had no other weapon of defence than the hunter's knife which hung at my belt although it was midday now intense darkness filled my prison cell and the air was close and foul for bruin had evidently been tenant of the place all winter for some time I could do nothing but gaze at the little patch of blue sky above me that seemed so hopelessly far away, as if rescue must soon come from thence. I could faintly hear poor Tiger's barking still, and fearing he might go off in search of me, I kicked and pounded against the sides of the tree, shouting at the top of my voice. I don't know whether he could hear me, but he did not go away at all events. It would have been better, far better for him, poor fellow, if he had. After some minutes the first bewildering paroxysm of fright abated, and I set myself seriously to consider what was to be done. I could not give up all the hope of escape. Desperate as my case seemed, I felt sure I would lose my mind if I did not keep myself constantly employed in some way. There seemed but one thing to do, and to that I forthwith applied myself. In my belt hung my strong, keen-edged hunting knife. Since I could not climb out of my prison, perhaps I could cut my way out. So, drawing the knife, I set to work with tremendous vigor. At first it was easy enough, for the soft decayed wood offered little opposition to my keen blade, and I felt encouraged. But presently I reached the hard rind, and then had to go weary for fear of snapping off the steel of short. The close confinement, the heavy poisonous air, and the constrained position the work required, all told hard upon me, but I toiled away with the determination of despair. I must have spent at least an hour thus, when to my delight a hard blow sent the knife blade clean through the wood, and on drawing it back, a blessed leaf of bead of daylight peeped through, which made a new man of me. 
at it I went again, and paused not this time until I had a jagged hole chipped out through which I could put my hand. If the bear did not come for a couple of hours more, I would be free. The moment I put out my hand, Tiger caught sight of it and came leaping up against the tree, wild with delight at finding me again, for now, of course, I could easily make him hear my voice. A few minutes' rest and the breathing of pure fresh air that streamed in through the opening, and chip, 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 I cut away the hard wood until a hole as big as my face was made. Another brief rest, for I was getting very tired when I... What is the matter? Why is Tiger barking so madly? Can it be that the bear is returning? Yes, there he comes. He was halfway across the glade already, and Tiger trembling with rage, was right below me at the root of the tree, ready to defend me to the death. Growing fiercely, the huge brute shambled rapidly toward us. Another minute, and Tiger the Dauntless sprang at his throat. But the bear was too quick for him, and with one sweep of his great forepaw, sent his spunny opponent rolling over on the snow. Little hurt and much wiser for this rebuff, the dog attacked him from behind and beat so sharp and quick that Bruin, in self-defense, reared up on his hind legs, ready to wheel around and drop on the dog at the first opportunity. For minutes, which seemed hours, the unequal contest went on before my straining eyes. More than once the bear, in sheer disgust of his inability to crush his agile adversary, attempted to climb the tree, and to my heart seemed to stand still as his claws rattled against the wood. But the instant he turned his back, Tiger had his sharp fangs deep into his hands, and with fierce snore, down he dropped to renew the conflict. The afternoon shades were lengthening now, and a new hope dawned within me. My mother had heard this ground anxious at my long absence from home and perhaps my father and brothers were even then tracing me through the forest by snowshoe track. They would hear Tiger's furious yelps if they were anywhere within a mile of us. If my noble dog could hold out long enough, we should both be saved. Full of this hope, I cheered him vigorously, and seemed to be as tireless as fearless, the little hero kept up the fight. They were both before me now in full view, and I could watch every movement. The scene would have been ludicrous in my life, had not hung upon its issue, the bear so clumsy and awkward, and the dog so quick and clever. 
As it was, I almost forgot my anxiety in my excitement, when with a thrill of horror I saw that Tiger's sharp teeth had caught in the bear's shaggy fur, and he could not free himself. The bear wheeled swiftly round upon him. One instant more, and the huge pitless jaws had him in their grasp at last. There was an awful moment of silence. Then a quick, half-smoothed cry, a harsh, exultant roar, and out of that fatal embrace, my brave, faithful dog dropped to the ground, a limp, lifeless mass. I could think of nothing but my dog at first, and in frantic, futile rage I beat against the obdurate walls of my prison, while the bear sniffed curiously at his victim, turned him about his great paws, and seemed to be exulting over the brave spirit he had conquered. But when, having satisfied his pride, the brute turned to climb the tree, all my thoughts centered upon myself, for I felt that my hour had come. I could feel his claws scraping against the outside, as, weird with exertion, he climbed slowly up. There was nothing for me but to wait his coming, and then sell my life as dearly as possible. Firmly grasping my knife, whose keenness had always been spent upon the foot, and feeling as though the bitterness of death were already past, I stood awaiting my fate. Watching closely the narrow opening at the top, I noticed that the bear was descending tail foremost. Foot by foot he came slowly down, striking his long sharp claws deep into the sponge wood, his huge bulk completely filling the passage. Not a movement or a sound did I make. All at once, as if by inspiration, was it in answer to my poor prayer. An idea flashed into my brain, at which I grasped as a drowning man might grasp at a straw. The bear was now close at my head. I waited until he had descended one step more, then reaching up both hands and taking a firm grip of his soft, yielding fur, I shouted at the top of my voice. For one harrowing moment the bear paused, as though paralyzed. Heaven help me if he drops, I thought. Then, with a wild spring, he started upward, dragging me after him. Putting forth all his vast strength, he scrambled with incredible speed straight up that hollow shaft. I hold on like green death, and giving all the help I could. In a few seconds we were at the top, and with a joy beyond all describing, I emerged into the light, daylight. 
No sooner did the bear reach the rim than swung himself over and plunged headlong downwards without an instant's pause. At that moment I let go and tried to make the descent more slowly, but the reaction was too great. My senses deserted me, and I tumbled in a heap at the foot of the tree. In that condition my father found me just before sunset, and although the deep snow had rendered my fall harmless, the strain and shock told so heavily upon me that many weeks passed before I was myself again, and I am not likely to ever forget the very strange way in which I was rescued by a bear. End of section one.